I don't expect too much out of this today. God, if you're going to do anything, you've got to take this thing. I learned from that. I didn't, look, I didn't look in the mirror between services, so I don't know if I'll look better or worse now. But don't you get up some mornings and your expectations are real low, especially this season of the year, right? Like, man, Christmas is a season of expectation, isn't it? Anticipation. And celebrating what God has done and what he is doing. And yet, it is just so exhausting. We're tired and we're spending money and we're spending ourselves. And it's so easy to just let our expectations just go down the tubes. And we can show up on a morning like this. And what do you expect? Well, maybe I can stay awake during the sermon. <laughs> Good luck. Maybe just to sing some nice songs. Maybe find one word to inspire me so that maybe find a little bit of hope for today. Do you think maybe God has more? Do you think maybe we can expect more from our God? See, we set our expectations on what we can see. We set our expectations on what we can see around us. We can't see God, but man, his expectations, if we put our expectations in him, he's going to blow us out of the water every time. What did you come out to see this morning? If it was me or anybody else up here on stage, sorry, you're disappointed. If you were expecting that maybe there was something going on that you can't see, if you were expecting maybe that God was on the move, maybe that God has more to do in your life today than he has done so far, then just maybe your expectations are in the right place. I'm going to pray right now. Before we dive into God's word together, I'm going to pray that he would raise our expectations for what he has for us today. Not not just in this place, but in every area of our lives, in our homes, in this day, in our schedules, in this week, would he raise our expectations? Let's pray. God, we love you, Lord. We praise you, God, for every blessing, every good thing in our life that has come from you, God. We know you are the source of it. And we know that your supply of goodness never runs out. You've got more for us. So we come here this morning maybe tired. God, raise our expectations of what you would do in our lives. God, we have praised you this morning and you have promised that you inhabit the praises of your people. You said where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst and there's more than two or three of us here, Lord. And so, God, your presence is here with us just like everywhere and yet more. God, you have something unique for us this morning because you have more to do in our lives. You have a work that you have yet to complete. So God, we just say yes and amen to all that you have done and to all that you have yet to do. God, we just open our hearts to your word this morning. If you would say anything to us, we will gladly receive it, Lord. Teach us that we might walk in your truth that our relationship with you might grow deeper, that we might be unhindered in our pursuit of you and unhindered in seeing your pursuit of us. We thank you for all these things, Lord God. And we rely on you for everything today. In your name, amen. So we're going to talk about faith this morning. 
living a life of faith. What does it mean to live a life of faith? Living in faith means living in expectation. So what are you expecting out of your life? What are you expecting out of your day? So this week we talked about faith. Last week we talked about hope. Jeff talked about hope. Hope is the expectation of what is coming. A confident expectation of what is coming. And today we're going to talk about the cousin of hope, faith. Because the Bible says they're really closely connected. The Bible says faith is this. Faith is uh, the substance of things hoped for. So hope is looking down and saying, I, this, I, I expect this to happen. And faith is the substance of our hope. It's the proof that we can be sure. It's the proof that this is going to happen. Anybody want some proof that their hopes are going to be fulfilled? We have that when we look to our God this morning. The Bible says this about faith. It's evidence of what we do not see, which seems kind of strange, right? How can you have evidence of what you do not see? If you don't see it, there's no evidence of it. Except I read about some scientists that over the past few weeks, there's been some discoveries in astronomy of what they do not see. They discovered some black holes, They discovered one black hole that's in our Milky Way, our little big corner of the galaxy. But our corner of the galaxy, there's a black hole that they've missed. For as long as we've had telescopes, they've missed it. They didn't see it. There's a black hole they discovered a few days later, I think, if I got my timeline, a few days later. It's in another galaxy, but it is one of the largest black holes, maybe the largest they have ever found. And until now, they missed it. A black hole is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. A black hole in that area of space, it is the most powerful force in the universe. It is a gravitational effect, a gravitational anomaly. They use all these words that, uh, what does that mean? It's, It's a gravitational effect where the gravity is so strong, it pulls everything else around it into it. Stars, matter, asteroids, everything, including light which is why you can't see it. It's one of the most powerful, impactful forces in the universe. The most powerful force in that area of space. And you can't see it. So scientists had to find some evidence of what they could not see. They had to look at some light and some stars and some matter and see the way it moved in space. And they said, ah, there's something there. Oh, there's a power there. There's a black hole there. Which is a little bit like our spiritual lives. A little bit like the reality of our lives in general. We look at the reality of our lives and we base our lives on everything we can see. Except the most powerful, the most influential force in our entire lives is something that we cannot see. That's why we need faith. We need some evidence of what we cannot see. Have you experienced some evidence of what you cannot see? In your lives today, somebody has, thank you. Have you experienced some evidence, there we go, and in your lives of what you cannot see? That's faith. And faith is good. When we see that evidence of what we cannot see, we can see that there's more going on around us than we knew. We can it creates expectation. And it creates that life of faith. It is a life of expectation. So we're gonna look at some people in expectation. 
today. We're actually going to talk about John the Baptist, which is a little bit weird, I know. In Advent, we talk about everything around, around Christ's birth. But John the Baptist was part of the preparation for Christ to come. Not just his birth, but his ministry. A few years before Jesus starts preaching, John starts preaching, and he comes on the scene, and he's the messenger that God sent on the way. And so we're going to look at God's preparation for his people through John the Baptist, because that preparation creates expectation. That preparation creates faith. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 3, and this is a long passage, so stick with me. It's the first, 18, first 15 or 18 verses of Luke chapter 3. And it goes like this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Atria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Here is the prophecy about John. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asks. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people, listen, this is people of faith. The people were waiting expectantly. And were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so these people are living in expectation. They're living, waiting expectantly, and they're so expectant that they think John the Baptist might be the Messiah. That this might be their advent. That's the word Jeff talked to us about last week, right? Advent, it means coming. That's what the season of, year, of the year is about. We, we celebrate that Christ came. That Christ came into the world in Advent. And Jeff said we look ahead. We look ahead, not, we don't just look back to his first coming. We look ahead and wait expectantly for his second coming. His second Advent. But then Jeff told us there's all these other Advents. There's all these other comings of Jesus Christ into our life. Daily, Jesus Christ is active and moving. God is at work. 
Do you see it? Are you expecting it? Are you ready for it? These people were looking and they were saying, listen, there's something going on that we cannot see. There is evidence of more than we can see going on. There is evidence that God is on the move. And he was. And you know John's answer to him was, hey, you're looking at me, you think God is on the move? You think I'm the Messiah? I'm nothing. God is on the move, and guess what? You have not seen anything yet. God's on the move, and you have not seen anything yet. See, we can see some evidence in our lives of what we do not see. We can see some evidence that God might be on the move, but do we know that we haven't seen anything yet with our God because he is still at work. So we're going to look at these people of faith, these people of expectation. How do we live? How did they get to that place of expectation? So much expectation that they looked at a man and thought he was the Messiah before the Messiah had even come. And we got to go back to the beginning. we got to look at where they were because what, before you can see evidence of what you cannot see, you got to get past the evidence of what you can see, right? You know what these people saw in their lives? Let's look at what they saw in their lives. And this is the part of Scripture that we all skip, right? This is all the list of names. This is a bunch of names that we can't pronounce and so we don't say them. We mumble through them, right? Let me give you a hint. If you have to read any of those out loud, just read through them quick. And people always assume that you know how to pronounce the names just because you read them quick. So try that next time you, you got to do that. Um, here's the thing, though. This isn't just something to skip. It's here for a reason. Luke put a list of seven names that mean nothing to us, but it's here for a reason. Let me tell you one of the reasons real quick. One of the reasons is he's grounding us in reality. He says, the stuff I'm about to tell you, this happened. This didn't happen a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This didn't happen once upon a time. This happened in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Etruria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. That's when this happened. See, you just thought I pronounced all those names right, right? I didn't. That's when this happened. We can pinpoint this was somewhere around A.D. 28. This happened. This is not a fairy tale. This happened. So Luke is grounding us. This is reality. Remember that. Remember that about this. This is reality. This is reality. And then it's important for a second reason, too. Though. It's important because this is a mess. This is a mess. These names don't mean anything to us, but they meant a lot to the Jewish people at the time. You know, they read this and they heard this name, Tiberius Caesar. Caesar was the emperor of Rome, and he was a cruel emperor. And he didn't care anything about the Jews. And the Roman Empire did not make life easy on the Jews, so that was hard. But then you get to the next name, and it's Pontius Pilate. And Pilate not only didn't care about the Jews, he, there were bloody massacres that he was responsible for. Massacres of Jewish people. He didn't create, treat them like humans. And then Herod and Philip and Lysanias, you know, they're the, they're the three sons of Herod the Great. So Herod the Great was a ruler and he was not a great ruler, but then along come his sons and they split up the kingdom and they're worse. Their rules are marked by corruption and savageness. And then you switch over, well, maybe, maybe the rulers in, 
in, uh, of the Jews will be better. Maybe the religious leaders will be better. And, he, and Luke goes to Annas and Caiaphas. Annas is the high priest. There's only one high priest. Um, I'm sorry, Caiaphas is the current high priest. But Annas was his father-in-law, was the high priest before, and he's still pulling the strings. He's still in power. He's not supposed to be, but everybody knows it, so Luke lists them both. And oh, by the way, they don't care so much about serving God as they do about power and political power. And this is a mess. And every name on this list is making it harder and harder for the Jews to live out their daily lives. This is a mess. What kind of a mess are you in? What kind of a mess did you come to today? I know, Jeff, I think he had us repeat this last week. This world is a mess, right? It's worth repeating again because this world is still a mess, right? You might have run into some new messes this past week. This place is a mess. What mess did you walk in here in the middle of? See, this is what we can see. And if we're not careful, we'll live our whole lives based on what we can see. Unless we pay attention that there's more going on. Unless we pay attention to the evidence of what we cannot see. And you know what Luke says next? He says there's evidence of what you cannot see. This is what he says. He says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of God came. And so the Jews hear this list, and they hear a mess, and they hear a hopeless situation. But then the word of God came. God speaks right into the middle of their mess. Do you know God is speaking right into the middle of your mess this morning? He is. Whether you can hear it or not, he is speaking right into the middle of your mess. The Jews heard this list, and every name they got down this list got worse. You think Caesar's bad. Oh, just wait till you get a load of Pontius Pilate. He's a little closer to home. You think Pontius Pilate, you think the political leaders are bad? Just get to the religious leaders. Boy, are they corrupt. Every name was worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and then God speaks right into their mess. And here's the thing. They didn't hear it. Luke isn't saying they heard it right away. Luke isn't saying, oh, the people responded because God's... No, he just says, look, in the middle of all this mess, the word of God came. Do you know God is on the move in the middle of our messes? If you can't see it, it does not matter. He is on the move. If you can't hear him, it does not matter. He is speaking in our mess. Whatever your current situation is, God is Speaking, this book here, this is evidence of what we cannot see. Testimony after testimony after testimony that our God speaks right into the middle of our messes even when we cannot hear him. Our God does not leave us alone in our mess. He does not remain silent forever. He does not stand far off from any one of us but comes. Listen, God is speaking into your mess this morning. Are you listening? God is moving in your mess, even if you cannot see it. So God speaks into their mess. But, i got to be honest, we don't always like what we hear. Even when God starts to speak, it doesn't mean the first thing he's going to say is something we like to hear. So the word of God came, what does the word of God say? Look at, 
Look at what John says. So John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. So these are people that are saying, you know what? Our life is a mess. We know this is a mess around us. We want to come and get right. And look at John's message intro. He says, you brood of vipers. Now, you mention a snake to a first century Jew, and you know what they think of right away? They think of the Garden of Eden. They think of that snake there who was, who was that snake? Satan. Satan, yes. And so John says to these people who are coming out to the Jordan, who are coming back to God, he says, welcome, sons and daughters of Satan. It's a little off-putting. I did not include that in my intro for a reason this morning. But he says, look at yourselves. He says, look at yourselves. Would you look at your hearts? Would you look at what your lives are like? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, that's great you're coming forward. That's great you're coming to respond to the word of God. But have you looked at your own life? Have you examined what's going on there and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father he says you think you're doing okay because your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Abraham you think you're doing okay because you show up at the temple once every Sabbath and you sacrifice a sheep once in a while listen listen you're you're following a pattern but what about your hearts what about every other moment of your lives are you allowing God are you living in a way that shows that you know God is there, that you believe God is on the move. That's great, you're responding to the word of God, but is your life responding to the word of God? See, what he shows is, that's the thing faith shows us. Faith shows us that the mess is not just out here. Faith shows us that the mess is in us. Do you know the mess is not just out here this morning? The mess is not just around you this morning, that the mess is us. The mess is in us. Your heart is a mess. And do you know that there's areas of our lives where we live like God doesn't exist? And, and here's the thing, you can't fix it. You can't fix this. It's one thing for us to bottom out sometimes and know, man, my life is a mess and I have screwed up royally, but then we clench our fists and try to get back up again. But here's the thing, you can't fix it. Your life is a mess. You are a mess and you can't fix it. Have you realized that in your life yet? A lot of people in here have, have you? There might be somebody in here this, this morning who is so worried about the mess around them, they don't see the mess in them. Would you hear God speaking into your life that you've got to see the mess is you, and you can't fix it? That's what it says. See, all of us, every one of us are snakes, whether we like it or not. We're all a mess. There's none that righteous. No one understands. No one seeks after God. We have all turned aside, and no one does good, not even one. And yet faith doesn't stop there. It gives us evidence of more that we can't see. And here's the thing. God just doesn't leave us in the mess. Faith shows us that God rescues us 
from our mess. And that's what John came to communicate to the people. John went out into the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He says your life is a mess. You're responsible for a lot of the mess in your life. You have rebelled against God and you're living in a way like he does not exist and you cannot do anything about it. But can I tell you something? There's forgiveness. There is forgiveness that God has to offer you. Do you know there's forgiveness that God has to offer you this morning? That's why John changes his message a little bit later. And later in his life, we see that John sees Jesus coming down the road and he said to him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the thing. God just doesn't stop at forgiving your sin. He takes it away. Do you realize that that's hard for us to see sometimes? When we come to that place where we bottom out and we see our mess, we see our brokenness, we see the hurt we've caused, we see the pain, we feel that shame, and we feel that guilt. And what we're blind to sometimes is God came to rescue us. And he has forgiveness to offer us right here, right now, that, that that shame, that that guilt wouldn't plague you any longer. You come to the foot of the cross. And God says through Jesus Christ, God, God says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's speaking about you. If your life has been plagued by shame or guilt in any way this week, can you hear God say, I want to forgive you? Can you hear Jesus say on your behalf, Father, forgive them? See, God just doesn't come to leave us in our mess. He comes to rescue us out of it. If you have come to Christ and repented of your sins, he has now removed them from you. You might have to work through some of the consequences of that, but do you know the shame and the guilt? He came to remove that from you. And now if you are in Jesus Christ, he removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And though our sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. How'd you like that for a white Christmas this morning? Forget about the snow out there. How about sins wash white? As snow. There is forgiveness that God offers. Have you come? Have you come to him for that? See, some of us this morning, maybe somebody here, maybe you got invited by a friend or a neighbor or family. Maybe some of us, that's all we need to hear this morning. We need to hear that the mess around us isn't just around us, it's in us. And we need to hear that there is nothing we can do to fix it, but God came to rescue us. God has been on the move in our lives to rescue us from this mess. Do you see that this morning? If you've never seen it before, do you see it this morning? And then there's some of us who came to that and recognized that a long time ago. And we've been walking out this life with Jesus Christ as best we can. And there's something more that faith would show us that we sometimes don't see, is that, and that, that God is not about the work of just rescuing us to leave us alone. God is not about the, the, the work to just, just rescue us from our sins, to wash them white as snow, and then say, have a good time, go figure it out. 
God is about the work of transforming us. God is about the work of transforming us. See, this is what the prophet Isaiah says. This is right in the middle of the passage that we read from Luke. And he quotes Isaiah. He talks about John's work. And he says, this is what the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about John. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And this is what John did. He showed the people, you need a savior. And he's coming. That's how he prepared but then Isaiah changes, and he, he doesn't, he stops talking about John the Baptist. Now he's talking about something else. He says, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. And I don't know what all that means. Maybe you don't know what all that means when you read through the first time, but there's something big happening. There's something big going on. There is a transformation at work that God is working. And you see, sometimes we can't see that in our lives. Sometimes we think about that, that God is only about maintaining our lives. We think that God is just about finding, out, finding the places in our lives to fix um, instead of working a transformation. But God is not about maintenance in our lives. See, it's because we look at our spiritual life sometimes and we look at ourselves like a new car. Don't you love getting a new car? I love getting a new car. Even if it's a new used car. That's the only kind of new car I buy anymore is used. But it's a new car to me. I love driving that new used car off the lot because it drives so nice, doesn't it? I mean, you got that new experience, you got that new smell, and you're, you're driving through, and it rides so smooth. And there is nothing you need to worry about because that new car runs pristine. They made sure, before you pulled it off the lot, they made sure that everything is running fine. And you don't care that it's because they don't want to complain. You just care that everything's running fine. And so you are just so feeling so good riding off the lot. The only problem with that is that you know how well that car runs when you drive it off the lot? That's the best that car is ever going to run, isn't it? It is never going to run any better than that day you drive it off the lot. And you love that it rides smooth, and it rides smooth until it doesn't. And then you hear that clunk, and you got to go get something fixed. And then you, oh, it's time to change the oil, and then there's times to fix the brakes, and then there's, what's that knocking noise? I wonder what that is. And you got to keep taking it back to a mechanic, right? And the mechanic repairs those things, and he gets them back because when you drove it off the lot, it was this good, and you're just trying, I need to get it back to this good. And, and here's the thing. We think about our lives that way because we come to Jesus, and it's good, isn't it? We come to Jesus, and, and maybe it's that time where, where you came to Jesus and surrendered your life to him for the very first time, and you felt freedom that you had no idea was possible. You felt joy, and you experienced a life abundant in him that you had no idea was there, and it felt so good. Or maybe you're like me. You got saved a, a long time ago. You came to Jesus at a young age, but there was some point in your life where Jesus broke through in a fresh way. And redeemed you in a way and, and made a change in your life, in his sanctification of you, that you were on a high, man, for days, for weeks. You were on top of the world. And it felt so good. And life was riding so smooth, wasn't it? Until it didn't. Until you ran into a bump and there was some trouble in your life because that's what Jesus said. There's going to come trouble in our lives. But 
somehow doesn't feel right when it happens, right? So something's wrong. God, I, come, I gotta come back to you. God, can you fix this? Can you get me back to where I was? Because where I was felt so good. Can you get me just there? Or maybe we, we trip up. And you know those things that we messed around with before Jesus was part of our lives, we go back to one of them because it's hard to get out of some of those things. They feel so good. And we do, oh, those people at church call it backslide, and I backslid this week. I gotta, I gotta, uh, uh, something was clunking in my life, and I gotta bring that back. God, I come, come back to you. Can you just fix this? Can you just get me back to where I was so that I can be riding smooth again? And we think that God is our mechanic just to get us riding smooth. Let me tell you one of the, the new cars that I got one time. I was making this, we were in this transition season in our lives. So Rachel and I were married. We had our first kid, we had Abby, right, and then, uh, then along comes Asher, and we were driving a Nissan Pathfinder, and it was a nice Nissan Pathfinder. I like that Nissan Pathfinder. It had four-wheel drive, it had leather seats, had a sunroof, it was a nice maroon color. It drove so nice, I never had any problems with it. Nissan Pathfinder, I like that car, but it was time to make that change. You parents know what I'm talking about. It's the change that you make to the minivan. I didn't really want to make that change. I like my Pathfinder. I don't really want to make the change to the minivan. <laughs> but okay, I hear you, honey. We'll go. We'll get the minivan. And, and so we go to the lot, and we go to the used car place, and we get, there's this minivan. And it's a nice-looking minivan. It's kind of a nice gold color. Leather seats? I, don't, I didn't even expect that in a minivan. It's got leather seats. It's got the heated, cold seats. It's really, it's got a DVD player in the back for the kids, and it rides so smooth. Even the name sounds smooth. It's a Mercury Monterey minivan. Ooh. Oh, so smooth, and I rode it on the test drive, and it rode so nice. And it rode so nice, and so we bought it. And you know what felt great was we bought it, we traded it in the Pathfinder. We didn't have any debt. Man, if there's nothing better than riding off the lot with a new car, riding off the lot with a new car, at least new to you, debt-free, whoo, I was feeling free. I was riding smooth until I wasn't. Some of y'all are wondering why you've never heard of a Monterey <laughs> minivan. Can I tell you why you've never heard of a Monterey minivan? They only made it for three years, which was three years too many. And everything that possibly could go wrong with that car went wrong. Praise God, I was spared by the axle braking. That happened before I bought it. That was a recall that they did on those minivans. But everything else after that, the transmission and the air conditioning and the front-wheel drive and the, the, the on and on and on and on and... I might have ridden off that lot debt-free, but I was not debt-free by the time I was done with that minivan. And here's the problem, though, with that minivan. Like, I rode off the lot, and I kept, everything kept going wrong, and I was like, I kept going to the mechanic, can you just get it back to where it was when I drove it off the lot? Can you just get it riding smooth? And here's the thing, that was never going to help a Monterey minivan. I needed a mechanic who could take that Mercury Monterey minivan and fix it enough so that it would be a 2020 Honda Pilot. That's what I needed a mechanic to do. But here's the, that was impossible. I couldn't expect that from a mechanic. Do you know we can expect that from our God? 
Here's the thing. We start into this spiritual life, and we get to this place with Jesus, and we think we're, we're riding smooth, we're doing fine. And when things don't go well, Jesus, can you just get me back to there because it was feeling so good? And we have no idea that our God has a place for us to go that is far beyond that. And when our eyes of faith see that God is on the move, even when we can't see it, that God is working even when we can't see it, we'll see that we haven't seen anything yet from our God. Do you know God that, that God wants to transform your life in huge, unimaginable ways, in ways so big that the only way to describe them is to say that every valley will be filled in. Do you know you've got valleys in your life? Even though you've come to Jesus, even though you've surrendered your life to him, there are these low places in our lives where we settle. Where if we're really honest, my life looks exactly like everybody else around me in that area of my life. But it's so hard to change because it is so dang comfortable. And I just want to stay there. And sometimes, if I'm really honest, I feel kind of empty there. But I want to fill that emptiness. So maybe I'll just, pour, uh, maybe I'll just work harder. That'll... That'll fill that emptiness. Or maybe I'll just get some more stuff or get some more money and I'll try to shove that down into that valley and try to fill that valley. But there is nothing we can do to fill that valley, to fill that emptiness. Can I tell you that our God is about filling our valleys? That place that is low in your life where your life, you know God wants a change in that area of life and you have been powerless to make that change. Can I tell you, you're still powerless to make that change. But God is on the move, even if you can't see it, and he wants to fill that valley and raise it up. There's these high places in our lives. There are mountains that need to be made level. These are those high places. These are places where I actually feel pretty good about myself. Like, if there is one thing about me that you got to know because it's really good, it's this. And that's not a bad thing. That might be the God-given thing. That might be the way he wired you or the gift that he's given you. And yet, we start putting our identity in that thing. Maybe that responsibility he's given us is a good one. But then before we know it, we're tying our identity to that status. And that status is more important than our God in our lives. This is a place where strongholds creep in these high places where we're feeling good about ourselves and all of a sudden these thoughts creep in that are not from God and contrary to the truth of God. That we cannot possibly be different. Or strongholds of pride creep in that, well, at least I'm okay with God because I've got this. At least I'm doing better than everybody else around me in this. There's times we don't see it in our lives, but by faith can give us that evidence of what we cannot see. And it, we'll find that there's mountains in our lives that we cannot level by ourselves, but Jesus' work is to level those mountains and to make those hills smooth. There's crooked roads that need straightened. There's places in our lives we have not allowed the light of Jesus to touch. Where God has said straight, and we say, well, kind of. I mean, I'll kind of go in your direction, but isn't it easier just to, I mean, there's grace for a, a slight left, isn't there? Yeah, there's grace for it, but God said straight. <laughs> Maybe we don't even know that. It's just that like slight discomfort, right? God might have said straight. I don't know for sure if God said straight, but you know what? I'm not going to check if he did because it's easier just to veer left. 
I'm not going to check with God's people and say, what do you think about this in my life? Do you think this fits in my life? I've been feeling a little bit odd about my reactions in this way. What do you think? Frankly, it's just easier not to deal with it and just keep going the direction. And yet God says straight. And God is about the business of making those roads straight for us and about making the rough ways smooth. These are areas of neglect in our lives. You know, we can make a good start in some area. I signed a card and made a prayer altar years ago. Anybody with me? Anybody make a prayer altar years ago? There's a map out there where you can make a prayer altar anytime you want. Prayer altar in your own heart. Put a pin in there. A commitment to go before the Lord. Not perfectly, but faithfully. By His grace. Faithfully to go before Him. And you know what? There's times of neglect to that. Where the road gets a little rough. This could be in our relationship with others. We've allowed our habits or relationships. We've allowed attitudes to creep in like cynicism or skepticism. I know God can do a big work, but he can't do a big work in them. He can't do a big work in this. And these are rough places that need made smooth. You say, gosh, this sounds hard. It is. Let me tell you a couple things, though. Um, First is the work is still work that we cannot do. It's still work that we have no possibility of doing in. Filling in our valleys, we can't do it. We've tried. Jesus is the only one who can fill them in. Leveling our mountains, we can't do it. We've tried. Jesus is the only one who can do that. Can I, I tell you that he does the heavy lifting? He does the heavy lifting in this work. And as we follow him, as we trust him in this, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The way becomes easier. So there was a few months back we went through Growing Deeper Still, right? And I, I went through that. In the back of that book, there were these godly character traits that we could look at in our lives and pray through. And God, where would you have me work in my life? Where do I see I need to work in my life? And the, you know the one Um, answer I said was attentiveness. Don't say attentiveness, it's uncomfortable. God's been making me more attentive. He's answered that prayer, but you know what he's making me attentive to? The valleys, the mountains. And before I know it, I'm aware of, you know, I thought I was a pretty laid back guy. I'm a pretty laid back guy. I'm pretty easygoing. I'm kind of humble. Like people can say stuff, it kind of rolls off my back. And then God starts showing me, no, listen, like, When you think something, you think you're right. When you think there's an answer, you think that is the only answer. Listen, when you're talking about Jesus, that's right. When you're talking about anything else, uh uh-uh. He says there are these places in your life where you think you are right, and if somebody doesn't agree with you, they're wrong. He said that's pride. I need to level that. He showed me distractions in my life. Nothing big, nothing bad, nothing. I wasn't wayward, running off the rails. There were distractions, though. There were these low places that I was settling, and God was saying, listen, that's a place you need to raise up. And can I tell you, as, as I responded, that, can I tell you, it gets easier. Years ago, this used to hurt like crazy. When I was dealing with anger issues, this would hurt like crazy. And it was so hard to respond a different way. And it was teeth gritting. And Lord, I want to explode right now. And I would have to grit my teeth and clench my fist just to hold back the anger. 
And can I tell you, years ago, it got easier because God leveled that mountain. I don't have to clench my teeth anymore. I just shrug. Somebody pulls in front of me, eh, that's fine. Like road rage is gone. Folks, that is a mountain I could not have taken down, and yet God took it down. What mountains do you have in your life? What valleys? Is God making you aware of what you were blind to in your life before? Is God making you aware of what you cannot see in your life before? And maybe it's more mess and that doesn't feel good, but are you becoming aware of it? Can I tell you something? That's evidence that God is on the move. It doesn't feel good, but that is evidence that God is on the move in your life. So do you have that evidence that God is on the move in your life? If not, maybe you need to check yourself. Am am I connected with him the way that I should be? Because if I was connected to him, I would sense some of this evidence in my life. And I would be willing to respond in those uncomfortable places to say, yes, God, there's a work you still need to do in me. Will you do it? in me. Can I tell you something else about this? As you, will, as you allow God to work these things out in your life, your anticipation grows. Your expectancy raises up. As God has been making me aware of these things in your life, you know what it made me aware of? Oh, if God wants to fix this in my life, do you know what? He has more for me than I've ever experienced before. He's taken me from that Mercury monorail, and he, he has Pilate labeled on me. And my expectations are going up and up and up for what God is about to do. do you, are your expectations going up for what God is about to do in your life? And, and then there's this, like, why is he doing this? If this is that uncomfortable and it hurts sometimes and it's difficult sometimes, why is he doing this in our lives? Do you know God is not transforming us just to transform us? God is not transforming us just to make us look different. Just because he thinks it's a good idea. He thinks it's a good idea for a reason. Look at the result of this. If, Imagine if every valley was raised, if every mountain goes down, if every crooked way is made straight, if every rough road is straightened and smooth, what do you end up with? You end up with someplace flat. Well, that's kind of boring. Like, who wants that in their lives? I like mountains. I like valleys. But, like, let's look at our spiritual lives. God is making our spiritual lives flat. Do you know the, the picture here is not about a boring land? The picture here is about a kingdom. The picture here is about a king who is wandering throughout his land. And if there was a mountain there, it would take a long time to get up and over that mountain, even though it's part of his kingdom. And so that mountain is made smooth. And it would take a long time to get down into that valley and up the other side. But that valley is made level. And all of a sudden, the king can go anywhere he wants to in his kingdom. And he has unhindered access to it. Do you know why God is about this business of transforming your life? Because God has prepared for us unhindered access. Unhindered access. That he would have unhindered access to every area of our lives. Imagine a relationship with God that is not hindered in any way. Fullness. Life abundant. That's what he has for us at the end of this transformation. So the 
the question then is, what do we do about that? I, I mean, we've, we've gone through all this, and it's, it's all God's work. It's all things that we can't see, and it's things that we can't do. God sees the mess, and he shows the mess to us, and it's in us. And God rescues us from that mess. And God has a transformation into, to work in us that only he can make. So what is left for us to do? Well, here's the thing. Like, there is one day that we're all going to be made level in his sight in a good way, that he is going to have un, unhindered access to our lives. But here's, do we really want to wait till then? Like on the other side of this life, he has unhindered, un, uh, unhindered, unbroken relationship with him. But do I really want to wait till I get there for him to hit, finish that work? Or do I want to participate with that work in him? Do I want to say, yes, Jesus, fill that valley? You know what? I'm going, to have, I'm going to participate with you in that. I'm not going to fight against you. I'm not going to kick. I'm not going to be stubborn. I'm going to participate with you in this. How can we do that? Well, there's a million answers we could give to that. We're just going to give the answer that John Gabe, see, what should we do? Like, that's the question that all these people came with. These people of faith, these people of expectation. They came to John and they said, okay, we get it. Like, we're broken. God is going to fix us. He's about the business of transforming us. What can we do? And John's answer was two answers, but it's really one. Let me show you. Like, people said, what should we do? And he said, anyone who has two shirts, share with the one that has none. Anyone who has food, should do the same. So he said to the people, you want to participate with God in his activity? Give. Give, that's what you can do. And tax collectors come, and they say, teacher, what should we do? And he says, don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. The soldiers, what should we do? He said, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. He said, what should we do? He said, quit taking. Give and quit taking. Give and don't take. Do you want to participate with the work of God in your life, the work of leveling that only he can do? Give and don't take. Here's the question for us this morning. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Well, you say God gives us stuff. Yes, God gives us stuff. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. God has put us in the position of receivers and we receive all grace from him. Every good thing in our lives we receive from him and we can continue to do that. But there is a way of life that we are formed in in this world as takers. Every message we hear on our phones and our TV encourages us to consume, to get, 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 get. With every minute, every moment, every cent of our lives, there's more for you to get. And if you're just looking around, if we're not careful, if we're just looking around at this world that we can see, we're going to live our lives as getters. Where we're going to go into every moment, into every conversation and say, what can I get out of this? We're going to go into every cent we spend and every check we write and every online transaction we make and what, what can I get with this? And even into our relationship with God, well, God, I opened my Bible this morning ready to receive from you, but if I'm not getting anything, well, let's shut this thing down for today. And we live our lives as getters without even knowing it. But God would flatten down those mountains. He'd raise up those valleys so that we might live as givers. You want to live in a way that's radically different from the rest of the world? Don't walk into a moment saying, what can I get out of it? Can we walk into a moment saying, what could I give here? 
Jesus, I'm going to open my Bible this morning to hear from you and to receive from you. And if I don't feel like I'm getting anything, I am going to stay there and I am going to give you this moment because it's not about me, it's about you. I'm going to enter this conversation and oh boy, this is a hard conversation. This person gets on my nerves, Lord Jesus. I'm not going to get anything out of this conversation. Oh, but God, what could I give? What could I give that this person needs today? What are they not seeing that I could be evidence of in their lives today? God, what could I give? And we spend all this money at Christmas time and I get another paycheck. And I, what if I looked at my account and I said, what can I get for all this money? Lord, change my question. What can I give? Lord, is there a way that you would have me give more than I'm giving with my money. God, let me give it. Let me participate with you in my life. Is there a way that you would have me give this moment? Let me do that and participate with you. Is there a way that you would have me give to others and give of my time and give of my schedule so that when I look at my heart, when I look at my life, even though I receive everything from God, I look at my life and I say, God, I believe I'm living more as a giver by your grace. And then what God does with that, if we do that, folks, people are going to notice. If we do that, people are going to see what they're not going to see any other way. All they look around them, all they look and all they can see is a mess around them. But as we live as givers, do you know what God works? God works evidence in our lives of what those people can't see. You know, the last line of that prophecy was this, and all people will see God's salvation. Doesn't mean they're all going to accept it. Doesn't mean they're all going to receive it. All people will see it. If we were to live this day, God, how can I give in this day? Somebody's going to sit up. Somebody's going to take notice. Somebody's going to see that God is on the move. Will you allow, will you participate with God's work in your life? This morning, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you began a good work in so many of us. Maybe there's somebody this morning who that work is yet to begun in, be begun in. Maybe what they need to see in their lives, what they haven't seen in their lives before is their own mess that they can't get out of. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would open that heart this morning in this church and in churches across this region, Lord, that you would open hearts to say, yes, Lord, I'm a mess. Yes, Lord, I cannot fix myself. And yes, Lord, I see that you came to rescue me in this mess. God, I proclaim you as my Lord and Savior. That they might hear, I forgive you from the God of all creation. And God, for the rest of us, you have begun a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. Yes. 
And God, it's not always an easy work, but God, we want to participate with you in this work that you might have unhindered access to every area of our lives. Jesus, may it be so. God, teach us how to live as givers. Teach us how to live participating in your work in our lives. For you came not to serve, but to be served. To give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, transform us so that our life looks like yours. And you will get all the glory for it. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. People of grace, would you stand with me and let's worship our Jesus one more time.